Joe was cutting the grass. Hot August day, had the lawnmower going in the backyard, large yard, and he was pouring sweat. His son, Bobby, was over on the patio playing with their dog, a little cocker spaniel, and they got hotter and hotter, and the little boy was playing, he looked up and saw his dad cutting the grass back and forth, back and forth, and he began to see beads of perspiration to those of you from Rio Linda Sweat, and, and he was beginning, his shirt began to be soaked about it, and so uh, for a few moments, little Bobby disappeared. He returned, and he waved at his dad, who was cutting at the far end of the yard, uh, holding up something. He shut off the mower, walked over there, and little Bobby had gone into the house and gotten daddy some water, and he brought it to him like this and handed him the cup. Joe took the cup and he was so glad to have something to quench his thirst. And, and he started to drink and he looked down and he saw a cocker spaniel hair <laughs> floating on the top of the water. And he looked at that and he looked back at little Bobby standing there with a big smile and he was helping Dad out. Well, think about what you might have done had you been Joe. Today we're thinking about this uh, true love series that we're preaching on in uh, all of the services. Today we're thinking about true love forgives. God forgives. And we particularly want to think today about what we call as sin in believers. Uh, most, if not all of us who are here today are, are believers, but that doesn't mean that we are perfect but just, just, I just, let me just test out this theory. Uh, all of you who are sinners, will you lay, raise your hand, please? Looks pretty near unanimous. Good. I'm hesitant to say how many of you are not, because we'd want to get you up here and put you on Facebook and uh, so forth. You'd, you'd really be something to see. But we're dealing today with how do we as Christians deal with this issue, this matter of uh, committing sin, even though we are, are Christians. John Wesley, as uh, most all of you know, was the founder of the Methodist Church. And he struggled with this. And the people of his time struggled with this. There was a group of people who had the idea that once you became a Christian, once you were saved, that would mean that you would never commit any sin forever again. Well, Wesley had trouble swallowing that. He has a sermon on, on sin in believers. And one of the things that he does, kind of a catchphrase to help people to grasp that, he says that sin in the believer does remain, though it does not reign. That's R-E-I-G-N, rule. It does not rule over us. It does not capture us. And Wesley tells of his own experience uh, some of you are aware of his Aldersgate experience, that is called. He was a committed person. He was a minister of the gospel. He had taught in college, at Christ College. He had preached from his father's pulpit and later from his father's uh, tombstone. And he, but, he, but there was something missing. 
He wasn't satisfied with his level of discipleship with Jesus Christ. He thought, well, you know, maybe if I could really do something large for God, I'd have that peace that I'm looking for. He said, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll go to the New World. I'll go to Georgia. <laughs> and i go to Savannah, Georgia. There's a church there, Christ Church, and, and I, maybe they'll appoint me there. And sure enough, Charles accompanied him. He was the hymn writer, brother. And so he comes to Georgia, and he never preaches to the Indians, which is what he hoped he would do kind of as, a, as a missionary. Had a lot of difficulties, and he went back home and was not very satisfied. One reason was he, going over to Georgia, there was a storm at sea, bad storm. The ship was rocking back and forth, and everybody was afraid except one group. He, he came to know this group called Moravians. And they were not afraid of the storm. Even the women and children were not afraid. They had their worship services. They sang songs. They had smiles on their faces. And they had so much complete trust in God that they didn't fear the storm. And Wesley thought to himself, they've got something I want. And so he befriended them. Got to know Peter Borla, who was the uh, head of the group and that group got to Savannah and then they went on up the coast to Charlestown as they call it we call it Charlestown, Charleston now and he befriended them and he tried to learn more about this great faith that they had that kept them from being afraid in time of danger and he began to talk about that fear of death as being the enemy he knew this was something that Satan was sending to trip him up in his uh, Christian life he went back to England after that particular event. And while he was there, he went to a prayer meeting the Moravians were holding. It was on a, an address called Aldersgate Street. That's why we call it his, his Aldersgate experience. And he tells of that event. He didn't, didn't want to go. He says, I went reluctantly to this uh, prayer meeting. And he said, while someone was reading from Martin Luther's preface to the book of Romans in the Bible, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And a peace was given me that now I was free from the law of sin and death. And he was a changed man. Before he had preached the truth of the gospel in the Church of England, but now he was preaching with passion. He had found something that he could hold on to. He didn't have to fear death, and there was a joy and there was power in his life. He preached in various churches because he wasn't pastor of any one single church, and they didn't like that kind of preaching. Too much emotion. They, were, they looked upon him as being uh, fanatics, in those days. And so he wrote in his journal, he said, preached at St. Anne's this morning. I'm not to preach there anymore. <laughs> it's sort of his way of saying, they said, don't call us, we'll call you, John. And they never called But his life changed. He said one of the ways that his life changed was that before Aldersgate, 
he, in his struggle with temptation and with sin, he said, I almost always lost. Satan won. But he said, after the Aldersgate experience, I still had the struggle. I still had the temptations that were there. But now I almost always won. Can you identify with anything that I'm telling you about John Wesley? Have you struggled with sin in your life? Have you been beaten down by it? Have you won any victories? Are you staggering under it yet? Well, some of you might say, well, you know, what, what is sin anyway? Well, there's a lot of kinds of definitions. You say it's breaking the moral law of God, starting with the Ten Commandments and so on. You can say it is hurting other people. You can say it's failure to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strengthen your neighbor as yourself. Adam and Eve discovered the pain of sin when they took the temptation from Satan, the snake that he is, tempted them, they fell for it, believed his lies, they sinned, God came to meet them in the cool of the evening was his habit and they've hidden themselves, they were ashamed. And they learned from that experience that their relationship, uh, four relationships that were broken that day, one of course was their relationship with God. They hid from God when God came for their afternoon stroll. Secondly, they realized that something within them had changed. That they no longer trusted God. They suspected God. They were broken in there within themselves. Then they saw that the third way was between themselves. They began to accuse each other. When God came and confronted Adam, he said, this woman you gave me, she's the one who tempted me. <laughs> you can imagine how things were that night. Uh, and then there was the fourth way, and that is with the, the environment, with the world around us that God had given us. Uh, he said, you'll, you'll have thorns, and they won't be, it won't be easy. You'll, you'll till the ground with the sweat of your face. Well, they tried to understand what was going on. We tr still try to understand. This idea of sin that we confront, it confronts us. It has to do more, this is important for us to, to grasp, more than just breaking a law, breaking a rule. It has more to do with, with relationships. It was out of relationships that uh, Adam and Eve felt that great sense of law, loss, lostness. It is not so much about keeping rules and regulations and so on. It's about a relationship with God and Jesus Christ. One has defined the sins as the essence of my cla claim in my, the right to myself. That I don't own, own God anything. I'm not subservient to him. And I thought about as we were singing about 
uh, trusting him and how we need him uh, every hour. I was just overwhelmed with the power of, that, of the truth of that. I do need him every hour. And I'm stupid if I think I can handle my life well by myself and not trust it to God. One has said, sin in me is a disposition of self-sufficiency which connects me with the body of sin. The connection is not in my human nature, but my claim to the right of myself, which is the essence of sin. I'll do as I like. Remember that old commercial where the housewife's mother is present and she's trying to help her with dinner? And you remember the commercial? Mother, I'd rather do it myself. That is a statue of those of us who live in sin. Sin is not measured by a standard of moral rectitude or unrighteousness, but in my relationship with Jesus Christ. The principle of sin is anything in my spiritual life or my human life, sensual life, that makes me draw my life from anything else other than God. Anything else is sin. The Apostle John had these people he was helping try to understand. And he said to them, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and the word is not in us. He says to them lately, and this is important to understand the, the verb that is being used here. No one who lives in Christ keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. No one born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. We know the verse uh, 518. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. Now here is his emphasis. There is a nature of sin about us. Uh, Paul, particularly in his writings, talks about the sin nature in our, in our being, of our brokenness from God, our estrangement from God, our alienation from God that is there. But God's saving grace, justifying grace comes and we can repent of that. We can be saved from that. And we, if, if so, then we're Christians. But he said that occasionally and more often than occasionally, we will do that which we know is contrary to God's way and God's will of doing things. And the emphasis here is continuation. All of us might occasionally uh, slip up and do this one thing or that one thing, but it is the, the, the danger of, for us is that we keep on risking. Uh, we, we get too much like uh, someone said that they were in the habit of sowing wild oats on Saturday night and then going to church on Sunday and praying for a crop failure. If we continue to sin, the crop doesn't fall very easily. It's okay in this matter of the temptation that comes. Someone said, you can sorry if you let birds fly over your head, but don't let them build a nest in your hair. When we yield to temptation, we are exactly letting that take place. 
the habitual sinner, therefore, needs to call upon God. And how does he do it? He, he does so in, in repentance. Repentance is our coming before God and admitting that we were wrong, that God's right and that we were wrong. Coming before God in, in our shame, with our sense of blame, coming before God and saying to God, I need, I need you, I can't live without you. That, that uh, song, I need you every hour. Wow, how that spoke to me. I need thee, I need thee, oh, how I need thee. I, I need your power, your strength, your, your glory, your presence in my life in order to get victory over this thing that is trying to strangle me. So for the habitual sin, the believer has the habitual repentance in order to give the relief to that. The word repentance in Greek, as many of you know, is metanoia, and it means to change one's mind. And of course, our sin is not just a, 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 a bad attitude. It is a way of looking at the world. It's a worldview. It's this understanding of what reality is all about. And Satan lies to us continually about uh, what this is all about. We sometimes think in terms of that uh, our, our main reason for being here on this planet is, you know, for God to make us healthy, well, and wise, and beautiful, and happy, and perfect children, and double perfect grandchildren, all of, all of those things we, we're expecting for ourselves. But we know we have a wrong mindset if that's the case. Uh, Martin Luther, the one who started the Protestant Reformation, nailed those uh, 95 talking points on the door at uh, Wittenberg uh, Church. And the main thing he emphasized was that believers must continually repent and receive the forgiveness of God in their lives and find victory and strength over that temptation that comes before them. What hope do we have? Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our hope is in His grace. It is so important for us to understand and grasp what the grace of God is. And, and so much of what we were singing this morning, they were just providential that the, the, the hymns that we were singing, the songs we were singing, are so appointed to this. That we are so dependent upon God's grace. God's grace is His free gift to us. It's free. We can't buy it. We can't earn it. We'll never deserve it. It is his free gift, his willingness, no matter how undeserving we are. We find that his grace comes to forgive and to embrace. We can't repay it. God does not love us because of our sin, but in spite of our sin. We use in this church a number, uh, quite often, the reality of God's grace that there's nothing I can do that's good enough to make God love me more. And the other side of that is there's nothing 
I can do bad enough for God to quit loving me. Is that good news or not? Will you, will you repeat it after me? I want you to take this home with you. There's nothing I can do to make God love me less. There's nothing I can do to make God love me more. What a freeing experience is to, to really uh, live into that and live into it day by day. There is, is our hope with that uh, yielding, not yielding to temptation, praying for forgiveness in our unrepentant attitude and spirit. In the book of Romans, Paul gives a, a long list of sinners, sins that sinners uh, commit. Uh, listen to the struggle that he had. He said, what I know I ought to do, I don't do. What I ought not to do, I find myself doing. And he goes, he goes through that cycle a couple of times. And he finally, out of frustration, he said, uh, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he answers his own question and says, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He alone can do that. His grace provides that. His, God's love for us is so great. He long, puts a long list there. In Galatians, uh, fifth chapter. The acts of sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, uh, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, and drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Powerful list. But one of the things that I've discovered, I want to share with you, is that as I grow in my discipleship with Jesus Christ, it appears to me that there are two kinds of sins. There are the commission of a sin, of a wrong, of a broken relationship. And then there are sins of omission, our failure to do the good that we could do. And I've discovered that as, as I grow in grace, that I find myself uh, less giving in to the bad things of the omissions, of the, of the commissions, and more likely that I'm disobeying God or failing to obey God by omitting to do what is right. Use the simple little story Jesus told about the Good Samaritan. You remember the robbers beat this guy up and kicked him to the curb and there were two guys that went by and they saw him over there and they didn't want to get wrapped up in that so they went by on the other side. They did the man no harm. They didn't go over there and say, hey, maybe the thief didn't get everything. Let's frisk him real good. We can get his MasterCard and have some identity theft going on here and we'll, do, we'll make something fun. No. They just ignored him, went by on the other side. Sin of omission. The Samaritan, we know, helped him, took him to an end, paid for his keeping, and uh, so forth. 
there's a there's a list that uh, follows the the sins I just read called the fruit of the spirit. Where Paul says in the Galatians, this we're dealing with the uh, fruit, the result, the benefit of the grace of God in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, I, I have trouble with some of these, making them a reality in my, in my life. Uh, one of the easiest ones for me to share with you, less embarrassing than some of them is, is patience. Some of you heard me say, don't ever pray for patience. Because as what? There's only one way to learn patience, and that is to be put into a situation that requires it or that, that needs it. And I struggle with that. They teased me on the church staff. Uh, I'm kind of a stickler for uh, starting on time and sort of when we get through with our business, get on uh, about it. And uh, sometimes I, I, I get a little impatient with them and I'll uh, think about, uh, haven't we beaten this dead horse off enough? <laughs> Can't we go to our several offices and and, and get on with it. And uh, I know uh, Lynn and I live out at uh, River North, and it's one long boulevard that winds its way through, and the speed limit is 30 miles an hour. And you can't pass on the boulevard. So if you get behind, someone who drives very carefully has seven speed bumps. Did I mention that? <laughs> and some people are afraid they're going to tear up their 10-year-old Buick <laughs> if, they, if they don't slow down almost to a stop over that little speed bump. And you know, you've allowed a certain amount of time to get from home to the, to the church or wherever I'm going, you know, and steam is coming out of my ears and I'm trying to be patient behind me. And then sometimes you turn out onto Arkwright and you get a chance to, to pass them and I fi find a way to glare at them. <laughs> I'm not good at patience. It's a sin. It's, it's something wrong. I, I don't... I don't uh, well, I won't, I won't, that's, that's not a good illustration to you. Uh, but as one has said, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. We are fallen, diseased, powerless to change ourselves. Paul says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Perspiration was coming down Joe's face. And he had that Georgia cup. Who are five and one on the year. <laughs> and uh, may move up inside the top ten. But in that, that, uh, that, that cup that little Bobby had brought to him. Bobby's standing there so eager, so glad to help. And Joe looked in there and there, there, 
little hair floating around. He looked one more time at Bobby. exploded with joy and gratitude that he had given this wonderful gift to his father. Sin in believers. We resist temptation. We recognize we're in a battle. We're fighting a war with evil. We call upon God. We repent. We call upon God for his grace to make us well and whole and have victory over sin. Is this something you desire more of? Then I invite you to come and join me at the altar. If there's some gnawing, habitual thing in your life that ought not to be there and you want to get rid of, now's the time to repent and ask for forgiveness, the wholeness once more. Will you, as the uh, musicians come forward, let's have a prayer together. And I hope that, that many of us will feel a need to come forward. One, one thing is that people feel, well, if, if you preach a sermon on repent and I go forward, everybody's imagining I've got this big black thing I'm doing, you know, and they're going to be thinking I'm all kind of this bad person, so I'll just sit here in my pew. Feel free. Be, feel, feel more than free. Feel invited and compelled to come forward and begin a habitual repentance experience in your life that will result in a perpetual, continuous victory over sin. Father, hear now our prayer as we come forth to glorify you and to honor you and thank you for the forgiveness of sins. In Jesus' name, amen.